you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I'm your host, Janine Garner, and today I am very excited to have with us uh, Paul Zara. Um, I have known Paul for a very long time through my former corporate career of retail. I've uh, followed his career and his journey and was finally lucky enough to be in the same room um, earlier this year when we were both doing some work which fundamentally was around building future leadership pipeline. Uh, Paul is a non-exec director, board and company advisor of one of Australia's most influent and one of Australia's most influential diversity advocates. He has been a leading force in the Australian retail industry for over 30 years and was um, most formally CEO and MD of Australia's premium department store, David Jones Limited, as well as holding senior roles in companies like Target Australia and Officeworks. Um, He's been credited for leading the digital transformation um, of David Jones. Uh, For those of you that are based in Australia, uh, this is one of our leading department stores. Uh, But under Paul's stewardship, he transformed what was a traditional bricks and mortar retailer into a contemporary omnichannel retailer, which resulted in the company's average online order rising to over three times the value of the average in-store transaction. His work whilst at David Jones resulted in great financial stability for the business during what was uh, probably the worst retail conditions in 25 years and led to its successful sale at a premium in 2014. What's fascinating about Paul is all the stuff he does outside of business. He has got a wonderful uh, level of thought leadership around what makes successful leaders um, moving into the future. And as well as that, he's a powerful champion for diversity and inclusion in the workplace, having led numerous high profile LGBTI campaigns and initiatives. In 2016, he was appointed chair of the Pinnacle Foundation, which is a non-for-profit which provides scholarships and mentoring to disadvantaged LGBTI youth in Australia. He also chairs PwC's Diversity and Inclusion Advisory Board. Paul, it is an absolute honour and pleasure to uh, have your time today. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Janine. Lovely to be here. It's great to have you here. Now tell me, um, it's often when you listen to, to that bio being read back, I don't know about you, but I listen to it when it happens to me, I go, really? How on earth did I end up here? How did that journey happen? For you, can you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? Was retelling in your blood or did you fall into it? I sort of, well, hilariously, I did fall into it. I think um, I've never been one to strategically plan my career. I really did just seize the opportunity and everything that I've done. And um, it's interesting. I started off actually at a at the local Target store, would you believe, as a shop assistant, as a casual whilst I was doing my HSC and realised the dynamics of retail was something that I just truly, truly loved because for me it was that, you know, dealing with the different, every day was different, different product every day coming into the store, different customers. It was just that whole buzz of a trading floor. So, 
you know, it drew me in immediately. I mean, oddly enough, I wanted to be a school teacher. I was, I've always been interested in, in other people and their development. I guess maybe I've got the best of both worlds. Yeah, because now, what is it that you're doing now? Can you share with our listeners what your key work is now? My key work, interestingly enough, is less on the retail side and more on the diversity inclusion side. I've sort of, um, I guess I've built a portfolio of interests. I mean, my first love is retail and I'm really, you know, that very um, long bio probably could have been summed up as a shopkeeper uh, <laughs> with a cause. But I, you know, I, I do see myself as um, at this stage of my career of choosing things um, where I'm actually giving back. And I've, it's been a real pleasure for me, particularly in the diversity inclusion space, um, I'm also chairing executive education programs um, and doing lots of advisory work, particularly in, D in the DNI space for short, I guess, because a lot of companies are trying to um, really trying to master it. And I, you know, people think I've fallen into it because, you know, being a gay guy, um, you know, it's a natural place to be, uh, you know, dealing with, you know, helping others understand difference. But it really wasn't the great, greatest motivator for me. When I started David Jones in the 1990s, um, there was only one female board member. Uh, and this is quite interesting for me because when I think back, you know, 70 odd percent of discretionary spends done by women. And I think that if the board had better gender equity at the time, maybe David Jones would have seen that the train crashes that were coming their way and this, this high level of disruption that hit department stores in such a big way. So I'm a great advocate for diversity inclusion, not just because of the community I'm part of, but also because I see the true business opportunity in it. Uh, I couldn't agree more. As a, uh, as a female in business and having worked corporately for 18 years, working my way up that ladder and doing a lot of speaking in this space too, um, it's, it's one of those ongoing discussions, not just, as you said, it's not just from gender, it's not about colour of your skin, it's not about uh you know whether you're gay or straight it's just overall this dni space is is a yes. massive um area that i'm not quite sure we've even tipped the iceberg of it to be honest i don't know what your thoughts are. absolutely no no i completely agree with that because i think partly in, in most companies today are still struggling to get their heads around gender equity mm. um and what's sad about that in fact of course diversity goes beyond gender it's including race sexuality, etc. And I think, um, you know, in my mind, why I'm a big champion of change in, in the gender space is because um, I believe that unless we get the gender equity, we've got no chance for the other pillars of diversity. So, um, you know, you're not going to get an all-male board, you know, particularly a white male Anglo-Saxon board to understand other aspects if they can't get their, their heads around the gender piece, which should be the simplest to get their heads around. Yeah, and it's it's more than just a ticking of the box and a quota number, unfortunately. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm interested in your thoughts. I'm I'm slightly sort of going off what I was originally wanting to talk to you about, but this um the the term uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, there's some thinking coming out of the states at the moment where they're replacing that word inclusion with belonging. So instead of mm -hmm. diversity and inclusion, diversity and belonging. Um, what's what's your thoughts on that? I, I completely agree with that thinking. In fact, I did a, a recently did a leadership course in Stanford University last year in San Francisco, and that term, that thinking had um, been presented to me, and I, I I really quite like it because 
I, I think you can have a diverse workforce. Um, and you know, in, in my mind, the simplest way to describe it, I guess, diversity is the strategy. I mean, diversity is sort of, I, I guess, the not not the strategy. Diversity is really more around the the, the numbers to get to an outcome, and, and the inclusion should be the strategy. But inclusion can mean different things to different people. The best measure is actually that sense of belonging. We all want to belong to something, whether that's a community, part of a family, a group of friends. And if companies can actually harness that sense of belonging, then they've really you know they've 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 got the not only the the best productivity out of those people, but they will also um, have the, the 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 best um fight for their discretionary time. So um, I, I really do like that as a, as a theme. Yeah, I I am absolutely in line with your your train of thought there. I think it's such a a simple and powerful word in terms of belonging, and yet so hard to create. Uh, an environment, a, a, a leadership approach, the work where people feel like they truly belong. And yet the opportunity that exists, if we can create that in our workspaces, is, is going to be phenomenal, not just workspaces, actually, you know, government, media, everywhere, if we can, if we can yes. create that education. Now, I'm curious, um, what would you say, if you sort of look back over um you know these these significant amount of time you spent working corporately and the work now and and growing up is there is there a watershed moment in your life that when you look back you go that's really affected the way that i do work and the work that i am doing now that's almost got you to where you're at look i guess look there there, there probably have been many watershed moments in my life i guess the, the one that there are probably two, in fact, that I would narrow it down to. The first watershed moment for me that was life-changing, I guess, was that um, as a gay person that wasn't out and visible at work in my early career because I felt that it would impact my career severely. And, of course, the world's very different today than it was back then, but there's still many people, um, particularly for the female community, that are lesbians that are actually not at work. Interestingly, there's a, there's a bigger issue in the lesbian community than there is in the gay community. But uh, for me... I, I, I found a significant difference and a moment of truth when I decided to be myself mm-hmm. and actually present myself as who and in, in to truly bring my whole self to work. Um, and that, you know, all that anxiety that I, I had, I guess, as a young manager in actually trying to um, not to keep my sexuality from others thinking it was my personal business not, not to be shared, it just meant that it put me into, I, w- I was using all of my um, my efforts into hiding some, some something that I am. And it made me think about, it doesn't, it's not obviously limited to the LGBTI community, but how many women that come to work and keep their families invisible, mm. you know, that their children invisible, because they think that, you know, if they were to present themselves that way, that that would um, potentially forfeit them as a, a, a from a from promotion. But I do believe strongly today it's all, all about being that authentic leader, bringing your whole self to work. And, you know, and I think that's really powerful to be able to actually be a role model for somebody else. Mm. You know, and when I was young, there was no role model, no, certainly no, nobody that I knew. There was no gay person on my radar for a start. I was in a, the local suburban Target store working. Um, and I think to have those visible role models makes a big difference. And I realise now that I carry that responsibility because unless people can look up, they can't be what they can't see, I guess. So um, it's important for people to feel that um, it's either you, you, you be the role model that you want 
the, you know, the person you want others to look up to, or you look at look to other role models and try and actually learn from them. Mm. How many years ago are we talking? That that, you know, that I I came out at twenty four and I'm fifty two um, now, so um, about to turn fifty three. So some you know, uh, well a world away in many ways. But in back then, uh, coming out at twenty four was was quite early because I still have people today that tell me their story and have um, shared that secret for themselves much later in life, often after, you know, being married with children. And that's where it becomes quite complex. Um, and I, I look back on my career and I think, well, um, I'm really pleased. I, have, I meet so many people still today that say you've had an impact on me personally, either LGBTI people or straight people, for, for just living this, you know, this authentic life, I guess. And this podcast is about unleashing brilliance. And as we were talking off air, you know, I I absolutely believe every single person has brilliance in them. It's just either society, work environment, uh, boundaries that we believe to be true or that are in our own heads stop us from being brilliant. And this this point that you're talking about is essentially um, the visibility piece of being prepared to be who you are um, how can you possibly become who you are if you're hiding parts or facets of your personality or your being? Um, do you see that in your work? Do you see it when you go into organisations and advise? Do you see that it's still this ongoing challenge? As you've said, it's not about being, uh, it's not about the, the gender, the, the sexuality, the cultural background, but it, it almost is because the difference of opinion to me, is the the opportunity that exists for the future, and we only way we can become brilliant is to is to own those multiple facets of ourselves. Uh, completely, completely agree. And unfortunately, sadly, I still see it today. Even in organisations that are, have a diversity and inclusion strategy, still have mm-hmm. people that don't want, for whatever reason, don't feel comfortable about bringing their whole self to work. And I think that's really disturbing for me to see that. And um, you know, I have, I've had lots of people share their story with me. Um, you know, one of the things that always concerns me when I often see women, and you would have seen this as well, Jenny, in your corporate life, where that, that a part of a management team or a board believe they've got to be more masculine to be successful. Mm-hmm. You know, and they they you know you can see it often in the particularly in the older generation, um, in our uh, generations previously, particularly in old older style boards, you see that a lot happen. So you know, the, the thing I guess. I, the key message for me today is actually about living your authentic self, not changing who you are, celebrate your differences, um, understand that you are unique. And then it's not about not fitting in. I think it's, you know, people are brought in to organisations because they're part of the jigsaw puzzle and they have different skill and capability and they have differences. That's what companies should be looking for. And often we, we, we find those people and we, you know, we force them to fit in. And I think fitting in, is such a loose term that um, can be quite negative and destructive and people have to be very careful about not um, working hard to fit in rather than actually working hard to bring their their differences to the workplace and that's the important thing. So there'll be many people nodding their heads as they're listening to what you've just said Um, and I know this from from the work that I do too that um, you know we're out there encouraging people to be their authentic selves, to stand out, to, to celebrate their differences and yet, um, a society organisations almost reward conformity. Um, what would yeah. you? What advice from your experience, having been having operated at that 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 
very senior level, level and having worked your way up through the ranks. What advice would you give to somebody listening to this going, yeah, yeah, I get it, but how do I? How do I be brave enough? Yeah, I, yeah, understand. I think the question people should be asking themselves is what do they stand for? Yeah. And if you can't answer that question, then you need to do some real personal reflecting because um, often I've seen so many people that actually um, work exceptionally hard to blend in, but they don't stand for anything. Mm-hmm. So when, it, when, when you talk about things like legacy and what's, your, you know, what, what's the, the footprint you've left behind, et cetera, those types of terms, they, they can't speak to that. Now, that's really important for me. It's always been a driving force for me. Mm-hmm. You know, and actually not compromising on my personal values that I could actually lead with, a, you know, that be a values-based leader, but also be ethical in the way that I approach things. That, you know, often, particularly a lot of people within corporates and with with any, um, whether that's in government or et cetera, that are so incentivized to actually get an outcome, um, that could be monetary or just through status, and they, they, they can often do the wrong thing to get there. And that's disappointing because I think when you look back on your career, you'll remember those moments and maybe you won't be so proud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Who's who's been the most influential person in your life, Paul? And and what was it about them that that you remember or that they did for you? Um, I think. Look, I've had many. It's it's very hard. I'm glad you asked influential because often I get asked, you know, who's who, who's been your mentor or role model. It's a very hard question for me to to me to answer because of um, I guess because of my difference. It's very. I didn't have anyone to look up to. Um, but I did have, you know, many line managers during my time that actually brought the best out in me, regardless of um, my sexuality. But they could see that, you know, there was a, you know, it was a, in many ways I look back now and that difference was almost a, um, an obstacle or a challenge for me. But now I do see it as a true superpower. Um, but, you know, it's very hard today even when you look up and you sort of think, well, you know, you'd say, well, who do you uh, aspire to be or who inspires you um when you look at our political world world and our political leaders it's very hard um to be inspired by them but i I, someone like you know if i think about global inspiration i do think someone like barack obama has been very inspirational for me because i think he's the you know um somebody that actually was the first african-american to be elected to the presidency and i think he did amazing things particularly focusing on what really was important um and that was you know health um, and putting a, a proper, which is now known as Obamacare, um, uh, putting some sort of a health care system, which the, the Americans did not have, amongst many other things that he's done well. And he's obviously, you know, he's a polished leader. And for me, that's, um, you know, that's a skill that not everybody has. The fact that he's always um, beautifully dressed, spoken, can, can speak off the cuff on any particular topic. It's something any leader would aspire to be able to do. You know, somebody that looks like they're in control without being controlling, I guess. Mm-hmm. What sort of conversation would you have with him if you were in a room with him? What would you, what would you, if he knew you and if you were mates <laughs> and you were catching up mm, over yeah. a beautiful dinner, uh, what sort of conversation could you see yourself having with him? I, oh, look, I would be interested to see what he sees as being, you know, I, I think about legacy and I, it'd be very easy for anybody to, to rattle off Barack Obama's legacy. And I think if you look at what we're, what the US are now dealing with, with Donald Trump, I think they're opposing leadership styles. 
Um, and, you know, I think Barack Obama will be known for a lot of great things, health being, healthcare being the, the number one. I think for me would be around understanding what he believes is the next round of um, issues that the uh, not only the economy but the Americans that, it, that would be dealing with because there's such a flow on from the US to Australia. And I think it'd be keen to get inside his head to see what um, what he sees is coming our way. These people are generally visionary and, you know, they're not caught up in the detail, I think, very globally. Um, that would be the sorts of conversation, um, other than understanding which where he buys his suits from. <laughs> yeah, he always, I am with you, he always dresses impeccably. Mind you, you're quite a snazzy dresser yourself, Mr Zara, you're always looking <laughs> Well, you know, <laughs> I was lucky that, um, you know, I, I, I generally chose places, particularly in the last... Um, uh, jobs where I could shop so um you know even even in my earlier days at Target I I, I think more of the time that David Jones and actually having such a love for, for Australian fashion and generally for the fashion industry because it you know it, it is such a driver of the economy and um, it's it's sort of sad a little bit to see what's happening um even though you can't stop it you know retailing is globalizing um and unless you can think globally uh, then you don't really have a business. But, um, you know, to think about uh, how uh, how whole creative industry comes together in the fashion world to actually create things that are localised for this country, you know, it's something that I love being part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, we, we both worked in fashion for a, for a, for a long time. I don't, we I think did. Like, <laughs> fashion is always in your blood. Um, now, I'm curious about... Uh, your views on on this challenge of leadership. Um, I was reading recently the uh, Edelman report, which comes out every year, and it talks to trust. And in yes. 2018, it registered, it's a global survey, registered that we are suffering from the lowest levels of trust across government, uh, non-government agencies, uh, media, and and brands um so essentially people just don't believe what is going on anymore and you can see it coming out um i mean if you look at what's happening in this country with the banking system and uh the all of the the aged care system etc etc but fundamentally you can either you know choose to just go i've got no control over that or i'm curious from your perspective again having been in that leadership position what what do you see as the biggest challenges facing leaders in terms of building uh, teams that are ready for the future? And then also those individuals from the perspective of the individual coming in and why, you know, my view is we need them to embrace uh, their multiple facets of themselves and be prepared to be brilliant. But mm. I'm curious about your your view as to... Yeah, look, it's 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 interesting question, actually, Janine. And I guess um, uh, I did read that report, Dentalman Trust, and I, there was, a, a interestingly enough, there was an a in- improvement in the trust levels of CEOs in the same report. So whilst mm-hmm. those, the trust levels went up, down in government, it went up in um, uh, CEOs, which I put down personally to the marriage equality changes that have happened in this country um, and that um, that there is, you know, um, CEOs now are being rewarded for what I would call societal relevance. So they're speaking up on social issues. And I, I was, um, believe it or not, um, the first uh, CEO on the ASX 200 to speak out publicly about marriage equality. And I, um, I wasn't certainly um, uh, congratulated for it, I can assure you, because back then, um, this was in 2010, um, CEOs just did not have a view around societal 
issues. But what we're finding is employees and customers want businesses and companies to, to, to understand what they stand for. You know, and that this whole thing about authenticity. So um, I, I do believe that business is getting um, completely um, uh, uh, rewarded for that um, uh, for, for, for that societal relevance. And you, you can imagine, right, if, if business got together to solve some of the societal issues that government can't solve. Oh, can you imagine? That's really powerful. So if you think about homelessness or refugees, mm. the re- refugee issues, mm. if business business today could solve most of those issues, so mm. then it question, there's a question around government, but I think, you know, when you think about it, politicians are rewarded by staying in office and it obviously drives them to sometimes short-term outcomes, whereas where business are thinking, you know, often public companies can be accused of that as well. But when you think about the diversity of the customers that we serve in most companies, um, then there's a, there's a real um, reason to pick up on the things that are relevant for your organisation and making sure that you have a, you have a voice. Mm. So if I agree with you that if, if businesses could come together, we could probably solve many of the problems. What, what do you think is stopping that wave, that momentum of possibility? What's stopping business from getting better at that? Doing that. Well, I think, like I said, I think the marriage equality plebiscite, we learned a lot through that process. So I think, you know, there was a, there was a lot of backlash, if you recall, around specific companies. Qantas was one of them around speaking up around these types of issues. And I think um, what we saw was customers were very happy um, that business leaders were doing that. So I think, um, you know, this will only be the first stage of um, change. And I guess, you know, and I use homelessness as an issue, but there could be many other issues that, um, uh, that business could solve if they put their minds to it. So, um, you know, the marriage equality uh, issue stood out because it was about, um, you know, having a level play- playing field for everybody, I guess. Mm. Um, and, you know, there are many, many examples like that where business could be stepping in and actually assisting. And, and you know, and obviously, you know, companies are now seeing themselves as not, you know, they just can't just glean profit from the communities that they operate in, that they've got to represent the community spirit and communities are concerned about many things. Climate change is another great example. So imagine if, um, you know, business, and I think some of there are a lot of companies that are out, um, that are out actually forming alliances to try and solve these problems. Um, All that needs is government focus. And again, something like that plebiscite that brings the the conversation on the table and you would see that you get a lot of support. And that's why CEOs are seeing, been seen, I think, to be more trustworthy um, today than they have in the past. Yeah. So, so you were one of the first to speak up 2010, I think you said. So it still took yeah. eight years to get that. Through. Oh no, when did they go through? I'm thinking last year, two years it's been there, hasn't it? it exactly. Years? Yes. So it, so it took uh, it's a year. Yeah. It took yeah. seven or eight years to get through. Um, the one of the things I'm curious about. Do you reckon our? Do you reckon that our leaders also themselves need to be a little bit braver and a little bit more courageous? You know, is there an element of that whole belief of what needs to be done, of what we can do versus pushing? Yeah, I, I agree, I do? agree. And I think it, it, it's, it's, it's about being, I think, finding leaders that are bold enough that are, you know, and you've got to remember, I'm dealing, I was, I, was, I became a voice for marriage equality um, because in my mind, uh, we had not only, there was LGBTI people, you can imagine that in the, in the fashion industry, there's many gay, gay yeah. people particularly 
Um, so, in fact, I wanted to make sure that people understood that we treated our employees equally and we equally treated our customers. David Jones had a very large gay and lesbian following. So, because most of these people, generation-wise, do not have children, so they've got high incomes to spend. Um, and I think, you know, business, uh, it, it comes down to the fact that I think business, business leaders are becoming probably more and more risk-averse as they're having to deal with more and more regulation and compliance. And it's finding the leader that actually is, has the appetite, I guess, to stand up and be counted. And, you know, I felt I did that, but equally, I think there were many leaders at the time that did. Um, and I think we'll see more of that in the future. Yeah, I I agree. And I think that's that's absolutely the work that you and I both do of, of supporting that future pipeline of people that, that can do that. Um, agree. If you if you lost everything tomorrow, Paul, what do you think you'd do? Um, look, I've always been I've been an overthinker. I guess it's probably been in many ways um, a, a good and a bad trait. Um, I I would honestly I'd pick myself up, glean the learnings, dust myself off, and start again. Yeah. But I don't make the mistake twice. That's one thing I don't do, Janine. I learn pretty quickly. I'm, I'm probably my worst own worst uh, critic. Um, and I think, from my perspective, um, I would I wouldn't I wouldn't let any um, you know there's there's something around actually never giving up, and I do believe that if you want something badly enough, you will get it. Um, I'd never believed you know uh, in my early stage of my career that I'd ever be a CEO of a retail company, let alone the premium department store in the country. Uh, but all I, I focused on doing the best job I possibly could do, um, and I think if you do that and you aim shoot for the stars, you never know what you might achieve. And, you know, it, it, it's everything is doable. Mm-hmm. Um, I am sure, and I have no doubt that given you have such a sort of growth mindset, and we talked again offline about personal development, um, that over the years you've heard a whole heap of advice uh, that's that's been given to yourself and colleagues. Is there one bit of advice that you would like to throw a rock at, that you are, would love to say to people, just ignore that? absolutely ignore that advice it's crazy advice well i think it comes back to what i discussed a little earlier um i think there's this whole theory around trying to fit in (laughs) um and i i think the biggest that to me is the worst advice you possibly can have and often we may not even give that as advice we just look around and you know we we fall into the trap of looking and talking the same way as everybody else. And I think the biggest advice I give people is to be themselves, Mm. find out what's different from about them. And that could be anything from, you know, often it's, it's the littlest thing there. there You'd be surprised to understand even, you know, in the work that I'm doing, there's some people that are suffering from particular levels of mental health Mm. can often find what the skill is that they have that can be, they can be absolute stars in that job. It's just about exploring being prepared to put yourself into a level of um, being uncomfortable, I guess, so you can you can learn from situations and work out what's best for you, you know, because, you know, not everybody wants the same thing, but um, understanding what makes you special, I guess, and, uh, you know, and using that to your advantage. Yeah, and it's quite, it's quite interesting as a, as a mum now, so I'm nodding my head as you're talking because the comment you said mm. earlier about... Uh, the children piece and women at work I was one of those senior females in corporate with three children that almost pretended I didn't have children um yes I put pretend meetings in my calendar 
so I was one of those as well as from a better. Yeah, and that's sad, right? It's it's yeah. sad when you think back at that because ultimately not the impact it had on you and the anxiety it would have created, but also you're missing the opportunity to be oh. to show all the other young mothers within the office Absolutely. that you can actually do both. Absolutely. And um, you know, there's there's learning in having been there and how it affected and equally now what needs to happen. But I'm equally thinking like now I've got essentially three, almost three teenage children uh, going through the education system. And um, unfortunately, I do think as a society, we are continuing to perpetuate this conformity piece through through the education system. And uh, it's this challenge of as a parent backing your kids to do something different, knowing that that will stand them in good stead. And at the same time, as, as teenagers wanting to fit in, it's, it's an interesting uh, dichotomy that we are in, I reckon, of, of getting future yes, fit, yes. Getting our kids' future fit. Um, and I don't know what the answer is. Apart from no, that's I a hard one. But I, look, I, <laughs> I, I guess you sort of can't put pressure on yourself or your children regarding you know what they choose to do. But Because I do believe, and we discussed this a little earlier today around you know, in many ways, the university system and the schooling system is broken because mm-hmm. if you embrace this, this idea of lifelong learning, it's almost impossible now when I think back of people cramming information in to complete an MBA when they're in their 20s and, you know, the, the concepts that they probably won't use for another decade or so um, and, uh, you know, all, all variety of, you know, degrees, et cetera, that people, people do. And, 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 and that's great. But remembering that, you know, even as late as, we, you know, as today, most people, you know, if you just need to remember to invest in yourself and to have this continual sense of um, learning and development and committing to investing in your own development. And then, you know, it doesn't really matter what they do right now because it's, they can, they can pick up that learning at, at their school or university, but equally make those choices later in life. Yeah. And it was, I think, Richard Branson that said the day we stop uh, learning is the day we stop living. And to me, what you're talking about is is a fundamental part of unleashing brilliance in that it's a never-ending process. It's a continual growth and a continual mastery of the things that you discover about yourself that are your strengths, that are your standout, that are your visible superpowers. Um, so thank you for, for talking to that, Paul. We could talk and talk and talk and talk, and I'm definitely we could, we to could. you back. Um, I, just before I finish, I want to thank you for bringing to the discussion uh, the importance of the DNI space or the, the belonging space. Um, I think there is still a lot of work to do, and I want to thank you as a female executive and a mother um, and a mother of sons and daughters um, for all you are doing in this space from a very you know, personal perspective, because it is really only together that we are going to drive change, uh, not just in the gender space, but society issues at large. So a huge thank you from me for what you stand for and all the work that you've done. Um, I loved your commentary around visibility at work. Um, and the key to that, um, really learning to accept yourself and bring your whole self to work and embrace yourself for everything, all those facets of yourself that make you unique, that if you can embrace them and be visible in them, that allows you to do your best work. And wrapped up in that, this, this uh, need to celebrate your differences and not worry about fitting in. And uh, finally, 
that commentary around as leaders. And I think it's all of us through the line, wherever we are, whether you be, you know, that teenager, that new employee, that graduate, whatever it may be, that new leader, that business owner, um, being bold and having an appetite, more of an appetite to, to stand up and uh, follow through with not only what the head knows to be right, but what the heart knows to be right. Um, Paul, my final question for you, you talked a little bit about, or you touched a bit on legacy and we talked offline about legacy. You know, we're often asked, uh, what do you want to become or what is it that you ultimately want to do next? My question for you is what do you, Paul Zara, want to be remembered for? Oh, look, I guess, um, you know, I did say my legacy is important to me. I, I hope to be remembered as a leader that made um, LGBTI people specifically visible. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, anyone that, um, you know, and whether that's um, not only the LGBTI community, but anyone in the, that, that has a, that are different to the, to the, um, to the norm, mm. that you can be, you know, in my case, that you can be gay and out and, and, and have, be any, any sort of difference but still be successful and be at the top of your game. And that's the thing is I'm living proof of that, that you can actually bring your whole self to work, whether whatever that means, um, and still be successful. And I'm hopefully that will encourage many people to, to live their full, authentic life. Paul, you epitomise unleashing brilliance. It was such a pleasure to finally meet you in person and to have connected with you and to now know you. And um, I look forward to working with you again. Thank you so much for your time. There are so many gems in our conversation. I have no doubt that people will want to track you down. What's the best way for them to find you? Uh, they can best, best really through Google. And um, I have a website that, has, that any queries can come through directly. So thanks again, Janine, for the opportunity. It's been a delight to talk to you as well. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Paul. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.